FarmingFix podcast listeners, welcome to episode 20. This is Michelle Miscali, senior editor of FarmingFix magazine. Hey everyone, this is Kristen Harm, the associate editor of FarmingFix magazine. FarmingFix magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. Kristen, what are we talking about in today's episode? We're speaking with Julian Upton, our European editor, and Lisa Henderson, our editor-in-chief, about our November pipeline issue. They both talk about what they found interesting, how this year's pipeline report compares to previous reports, and what some of the major topics we covered this year are. We'll play the interview right after a quick break. Are you on LinkedIn? If so, you should join the Pharmaceutical Executive Group and connect with over 16,000 of your pharma and biotech colleagues in everyday discussions about the industry. Just search Pharmaceutical Executive on your LinkedIn group page and request to be added. Hi, podcasters. Today we're speaking with Julian Upton, our European editor, and Lisa Henderson, our editor-in-chief, about our November pipeline issue. Welcome both. Hi there. Hello. Hi, Julian. <laughs> I took over you. Sorry. That's okay. So this, uh, in November's issue, we have our pipeline report, and I wanted we wanted to talk a little bit about the pipeline report, some of the trends that we've been seeing, and um, kind of what you guys found most interesting. So, Lisa, tell us first of all about the pipeline report and how it kind of came about and what the process was for it. Sure. So um, every November, I don't know how far back, but for quite a while, um, pharmaceutical executive has taken a look at the drug development pipeline, um, you know, in various lenses, what's successful, what's not, what's, you know, blockbuster. Now we don't have blockbusters so much, but um, so many new innovations. So what we do is it's not – quantitative so much as qualitative we ask our editorial advisory board to um, offer their recommendations at what we should look at um, and then we add the quantitative around it so this year we were able to tap into our new parent company Informa's pharma intelligence databases they um, to add that um, that quantitative to our qualitative, so we're very fortunate that way. Um, it's a nice mix. We also have the benefit of Informa's Farm Intelligent Analysts adding some additional color around the choices that we made, um, and they are bonus online um, articles, so you'll have to look for that uh, URL in the issue. So that's the process. Uh, this year we did choose six topics. And, um, you know, and internally we did talk through some of them that we chose, for example, Alzheimer's, which I wasn't a fan of because of the lack of promising responses, but we did include it because it's a huge area and there's a lot of trials going on and maybe, maybe, fortunately, hopefully someday, there'll be some actual science around that um, awful disease, but... There's actually a lot of, when I was at, it's interesting that you guys picked Alzheimer's because when I was at Bio, there was a lot of companies, a lot of startup companies and biotechs looking at Alzheimer's um, in all different ways of both treatment and, 
you know, finding, you know, detecting it early, like all different stages of companies uh, for about the disease. So um, it's interesting that that was one of the ones that was chosen. Can you, can you guys tell us a little bit more about the other topics that were chosen and what you found most interesting about them? I'll let Julian go first on that. Yeah, sure. Thanks. And um, I think, uh, well, it starts, the, the pipeline report starts with uh, what was a, a big breakthrough, I suppose, you know, the last couple of years, well, um, certainly since the middle of 2017, and we talked about it in Brands of the Year, in our Brands of the Year focus earlier this year, and that's the um, the CAR-T therapies, um, Kimria and Niscata being approved um, back in 2017, and the impact has been felt over the, the, the following year. Uh, those, those, of course, were... Um, were, were CAR-T therapies uh, that focus on extracting immune system cells and then, and then re-engineering them uh, and then um, re-infusing them into the, into the patient to, to attack the tumors. So this is a, you know, uh, it was just described by one person as like a brave new world of gene therapy. So um, a lot of doors open by, uh, from that. Uh, and, and so that's, that's, that's created a whole new uh, wave of, of gene therapy research and, and small and large companies uh, getting involved. But um, I think from this pipeline uh, point of view, what's interesting is that, you know, the, the, the big sticking point was solid tumors. These, these, um, these, uh, these CAR-T therapies um, so far that we talked about uh, focus on, uh, on blood, blood cancers and um, uh, leukemia and also, you know, lymphoma, blood marrow. So um, solid tumors are the, are the, are the, are the hard part, if you like. Uh, not that that wasn't hard, but this is uh, particularly difficult. So I think that's interesting to look at. Uh, not an awful lot we can say about uh, in terms of you know, a breakthrough, but there's stuff being done, and, and this, this year's pipeline report looks at a couple of things, um, such as there's a, a phase one trial at uh, Seattle Children's Hospital, um, which is um, engineering CAR T cells uh, to to target um, children, young adults who have uh, relapsed or refractory non-central nervous system EGFR expressing solid tumors. That's a mouthful, but um, that's underway. And um, outside CAR T, there's also um, some adoptive cell transfer uh, therapies that are being uh, looked at um, again to to uh, target solid tumors and uh, the uh, Joseph Constance, who, who was the author of, of this year's pipeline report, uh, focuses on, on a couple of those companies uh, and what they're doing. So that, that's, that's a very interesting, I think, development and, and, and a kind of a, a progression from where we've been with CAR-T, for example, in the last couple of years. And that, that, that of course, has made an appearance in the last at least two, two um, pipeline reports because, obviously, it's so important. But um, So this one is, is, is moving into that area and looking at what's being done in solid tumors. Right. So um, the CAR-T is fascinating, and the solid tumor, you know, as um, Julian explained, is really important, and it's, there's a lot going on in that area. The other area that we chose that maybe non-traditional <clears throat> was cannabis, and another one we chose was opioids, which... Um, there's a lot of stuff going on there, obviously, from a public health crisis needing therapies to address the population with lower incidences of addiction. And 
We do have to remember, however, that for the part that pharma may or may not have played into opioid addiction and overprescription of oxycodone, most deaths, unfortunately, from addiction come from fentanyl, which is just, you know, a common street drug now, and it's along with heroin, and it's very just potent, destructive. I'm not, like, trying to give pharma a pass for anybody that's listening, but to be sure, it was overprescribed for years, <clears throat> and not because I think that, uh, you know, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories or whatever, but it's it did what it's supposed to do. It kills the pain. And, of course, that goes along with a lot of things that are a form of addiction. So regardless, um, you know, a lot of the opioid developments in the pipeline are around abuse deterrence formulations as well as alternatives to, you know, pain management. And that's also where you get into cannabis. So that's another reason why we look to cannabis because a lot of what's going on there is, again, addressing people's pain and managing that pain. So from the... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Michelle. So to go along with uh, what you're saying about cannabis and how it's become kind of a more of a mainstream topic, uh, our our company, UBM, actually started a cannabis science and technology magazine. And if anyone is listening that's interested in learning more about that, you can go to CannabisScienceTech.com and read more about that as well. Right, and so their focus is a lot on the testing and looking for the presence of maybe pesticides or other contaminants that might be in your plant-based cannabis or, you know, it's not just pharma, you know, it's pharma and medicinal and this and that. But where I think this new world of cannabis, and I just realized that that's the subhead that you chose for cannabis, but for real, Mm -hmm. um, it's going in a lot of different areas. So Epidelix, I can't pronounce that, um, was just approved. And um, then because it's a a CBD, a cannabinoid, it had to be uh, put on a different DEA schedule in the United States so that it's, you know, it's more accessible, you know, as a drug because it's considered on that, um, that thing, the DEA. So, Regardless, I think the issues around cannabis, again, get to, in the pharma world, um, where are they going to prove it is a better product than someone going out and self-medicating vis-a-vis medicinal use or, you know, just off the street? So. And I think that's going to just keep coming up, you know, with Canada just recently approving um, uh, cannabis and, you know, and then this epidemiac that's specifically for pediatric epilepsy. Um, you know, people could say, oh, I, I'm going to give my kids <clears throat> CBD. It'll help them with the epilepsy. Well, doctors are just going to be like, you know, we really want to see clinical trials on this. We really want to see what, if there's any long-term effects, you know, because you're overcoming that long-term use of cannabis, I mean, long-term culture or history of cannabis being an illegal substance, and that still is predominant regardless of how much it's used, you know, and um, and physicians um, and their thoughts around that. That's just my own opinion. I didn't, that's not in the article. I just you know, I'm saying that, so. 
So there's also um, biosimilars was also talked about in this year's pipeline report, which is something I feel like sometimes it gets put on the back burner. Um, it was very popular a few years ago, and I feel like it's sort of lost its steam a little bit. And I could be wrong, but I don't hear as much about it like when we're at conferences and when we're talking to people. Um, so what is kind of new on that with the pipeline? Um, we chose biosimilars again because I think we're waiting for, um, and this is why you're not hearing about it, Michelle, for the past couple of years. And Julian knows more than anybody, but in the EU, biosimilars have upwards of more than 40 yeah, approvals. Okay. And we have, I think, less than 10 or 10 or less. So um, it's it's a law, <laughs> it's a legal issue right now. It's a, It's a lot of back and forth about, you know, are you infringing on my biologic? Are you infringing on my IP? And then you get to interchangeability. You know, if most people are aware, maybe not. Generic small molecule drugs only need to be 70% efficacious to um, the originator. So how does that actually work in biologics? Can you actually have, you know, and a one-to-one with with a biologic material, you know, it's a little bit more complex, I guess. For so um, that's I think between the IP and legal issues in the U.S. Um, and then the fact that nobody just feels comfortable as usual in this industry, very hesitant toward regulatory pathways. Though the FDA obviously is pushing biosimilars, and that's one of Gottlieb's things. It um, they just don't want to be the one. You know, they don't want to be the first. But, Julian, do you have thoughts around that? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I was just going to just going to move on to, um, to to Alzheimer's actually, and another oh, okay. thing we wanted to talk about. Because um, uh, uh, Michelle said to me, you know, that we've we've been doing these pipeline reports for for, for many years, and I just yeah. had a quick look back, and you know, as far well as far back as five years, but I'm sure further back, you know, Alzheimer's is the um, is, is one constant, you know, the the, the efforts to to try and um, to try and address uh, that um, that disease. But what it seems to me is a, is a pattern of is, and I'm sure you'll agree, uh, is, is is one of frustration because you know lots of things are talked about in each pipeline report, and um, and then you know they fail to deliver. And I think uh, so. It's interesting to compare all the different years and what's happening. Um, and I think this year we've taken more of a uh, well, certainly the pipeline report itself is, is you know, just kind of lamenting that, uh, you know, there still hasn't been that 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 huge uh, that huge breakthrough, um, and um, you know, it, it's uh, there's still a lot going on, but there's, we're still waiting for that game changer, you know, um, and I think that's an interesting uh, area to look at because. Um, you know, nothing's worked so far, if you like. I mean, we can we can look back to all the all the all the hullabaloo over the last few years and say, and these are all the great things that are coming, but uh, you know, nothing's nothing's delivered. So, um, I mean, there's still stuff uh, that we've been talking about. There's still, there's still new things happening. Um, uh, Johnson Johnson and uh, Janssen uh, are working on this uh, with, with the University of Pennsylvania's gene therapy uh, program, uh, and there's a lot, and also there's a lot more. To look at, um, if, if readers go to the uh, to the website and see our informer um, uh, data and information on what's going on in Alzheimer's, but just I just wanted to bring that up because it's a 
you know, there seems to be a tinge of obviously frustration through through that through the pipeline. You know, going back as far as we as we can see, really, in terms of uh, attacking Alzheimer's. One of the other things that I found interesting in the pipeline report was antibiotics, because some of the conferences that I have that I've been at, they've been talking a lot more about antibiotics. So, what did you find interesting about including that in the pipeline report? So I initially was not a fan for antibiotics, um, but my mind was changed when um, Jay Galliota, who is on our editorial advisory board, made a comment to me about, you know, it's the only area of disease that the, the drug actually changes. It reinvents it. I mean, not the drug, the the uh, the, the disease, whatever, the bug, you know, it the bacteria, it morphs, it addresses, it becomes resistant to um, therapies. You know, we have um, a huge potential looming crisis for antibiotic resistance, you know, and he says, if you consider that um, the most expensive hospital bed is the septic isolated ICU, and, you know, people do get a lot of... Um, this antibiotic resistance problems in the hospital, um, you know, it's out of balance because uh, um, antibiotics just don't innovate based on the fact that it's not cost-effective for pharma. Yeah. So if if you were to say, I'm going to the pharmacy to get my um, tetracycline or whatever filled, you know, it better only be like five bucks, right? That's what people think about antibiotics. I'm just going to take yeah. it and I'm going to get better and it needs to only cost that much. So that's a problem for industry. You know, they just aren't going to go there. It's it's just not, it's so much work. I mean, we see all the failures. There's so many failures in Alzheimer's, but if somebody wins in Alzheimer's, that's going to be huge. You know, that's a total game changer. That's the way it's looked at, but antibiotics could be huge. It could be a game changer, but... um. You know, the incentives aren't there. But having said that, I was at an event um, two weeks ago, and, I, and Dr. Evan Lowe, who's the president and chief operating officer and chief medical officer of Paratech Pharmaceuticals, and they just had two approvals in the, in this space on October 2nd, and it was a long time coming. Um, but he mentioned the two... Um, regulatory pathways in the U.S. So there's GAIN, which is from 2002, and that's generating antibiotic incentives now. That was through FIDASIA or something like that. And Yeah, FIDASIA. And then there's a new one, part of 21st Century Acts, which is limited population antibacterial drug or LPAD pathway to, again, help antibiotic development for... Um, you know, for um, uh, smaller, what am I saying, smaller conditions. So it's a tough area. I mean, I think there is a lot going on, but it's you just can't get that push because of the perception. The perception is yeah. you're not going to get paid. The yeah. push is um, the innovation. The You know, the push is... Uh, the science becoming larger, the attention getting larger. You know, I kind of write about this in my editorial, too. I was just doing that. So, um, yeah. 
Yes, and of course, it's a worldwide, worldwide problem, you know. Correct. Yeah. It's a worldwide public health crisis. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And I just wonder whether, you know, whether the education around it is starting to starting to get through to people now in terms of, you know, we had a, obviously a period of doctors over-prescribing them, certainly here in, in the UK. I guess that's the case in the U.S. too, really, you know, just giving them out <laughs> like candy. Yeah, they're and, like um, cichlids. And, you know, like it's yeah. it's a virus. It's not a bacteria. Yeah, People take yeah. it for a virus. Like, dude, you just got to live through the virus. You know, if you have a cold, yeah, you yeah. just don't go to the doctor and ask for, like, an antibiotic, you know. And the way I see it, I've got to – yeah, I've got to feel really ill to go and get antibiotics now. I wouldn't, you know, yeah. just take it from the all. But, I mean, is that, you know, is that going to make a difference? Is this kind of reason? Is that enough? You know, that's the, that's the question because uh, the damage has obviously been done on a very, very large scale. So, um, you know, it takes some super drug to come come along and, 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 and rectify that. But at least I guess the education is in place for in terms of the prescribing and the uh, the taking of these things uh, as we go forward. I think it's it's um, sort of a misperceived problem out there. Um, the ward that you're talking about in a hospital, Lisa, my mom was actually in that um, ward about 12 years ago, and there's only two antibiotics that she can still use. She has resistance to all of the other ones out there. Um, and it's a real problem, and people don't realize it. I know when I've talked about it just in general to people, they all look at me like I have, you know, five heads and don't understand antibiotic resistance and that that's even possible. So I think it's good that attention is being brought to it because um, I think yeah. that there's a lot of mis- misinformation out there about it and people don't take it seriously either. Um, like you said, doctors just prescribe it and, you know, people yeah. just want it. They want to walk out with an antibiotic because they feel like that's helpful to them. So I think it was really interesting that it's kind of coming, um, that it's sort of being brought to light again and that this is all coming out again. And there are companies out there. When I was just in Virginia, there is a company that is working on that. They're getting funding um, and grants to work on new antibiotics, but they were saying what you were saying. Um, It's very hard for, you know, you you need to make a profit, um, but you also still need these antibiotics. So it's interesting to watch, I think. I guess the, the, there is some hope in that the, the, the pipeline report does does identify some of these drugs, some of these um, candidates in late stage development, uh, and some of the, the World Health Organization thinks are, are innovative, and um, we, we provide a, a, an overview of those. So they're, they're they're sort of in phase three. There's a few things coming out from from companies like Motif Bio and, and, and Merck, um, and um, uh, so there's, they're, they're they're in the offing. So we can only keep our fingers crossed for, for how those work out. So as we wrap up here, um, I want to ask both of you, what did you find most interesting or most surprising about this year's pipeline report? Hmm. That's mm-hmm. a good question. Sometimes I'm surprised at you know, how much is literally going on in phase one, two, you know, and – when you look at the actual databases that, you know, or Farm Intelligence shared with us and the just the depth of information of who's in, what's going on in Phase 2 and 3, that just amazes me because, and I just, you know, I harp on this, but there's a lot of failures out there. There's just, but that's what research is. Somebody actually just said that. You know, they're like, that's clinical. It's why it's called research because there are failures. It's not all supposed to be success. And you learn 
from the failures. But people don't understand, you know, I don't know how many failures there were with the iPhone before they actually, like, came out with it. You know, like, it's just different. So, um, actually, where is that chart? Here it is. How many drugs are in testing for Alzheimer's globally? The global reach for that was just, you know, just amazing to me. So I think that's that's my take for the pipeline in general. Yeah, I think what what isn't surprising is that uh, oncology, you know, is still the most active uh, therapeutic mm-hmm. area. Um, I think that's that's uh, something we, we we understand that every year. Um, I was quite surprised about the the, the comment about. Um, uh, the top 20 orphan drugs in, in the pipeline, uh, 40% of them could be blockbusters, um, and the kind of the kind of boom in, uh, in in that area, sort of you know uh, as well. So um, those are interesting things to, to think about. I'm, I'm interested as well in, in, in the whole cannabinoid thing because in the UK we're we're at a different stage with that. We're a lot further behind, you know, in terms of how those drugs are. Um, allowable and 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 what uh, and the research around them and the uh, and the development of them. So, keeping an, an interested eye on that, um, you know, as, uh, as it, from a European perspective, it's, it's it's interesting to see how how much headway is being made over in the in the US in uh, in that area. Well, thank you guys for being with us today and sharing an overview into some of the topics that are in this year's pipeline report. Okay, thank thanks. You. It's a good report this year. It's a good issue. And now it's time for this week's leadership tip from Pharma Execs. Hi, this is Lisa Henderson, Editorial Director for Pharmaceutical Executive. And my leadership tip for the day is challenge your assumptions. We do feel that we're more aware of what we're thinking. We should challenge our assumptions before making a sweeping generalization maybe or even just a single thought about someone and ask yourself, what am I missing? Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, or on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director lisa.henderson at ubm.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at todd.baker at ubm.com.